Welcome in, everybody. Good to have everybody here this morning. What a tremendous baptism service that was. Wasn't that amazing? Man, we've already had such a great, we've already had such an amazing day today. Do you know that in our 8.30 service, we had one salvation? Did you know that? Yeah, that's awesome. We had one salvation. We had, we had seven people get baptized today. It's so amazing. I love being in a house and around people where life change is, on, is always happening. It's always going on. You may wonder what this is. This is, tonight we are debuting for the very first time our mobile uh, evangelism cart, all right? And so tonight, check this out. Tonight, there's going, we're going to have hot chocolate on tap. All right, you heard, you heard Britton talking about the outreach tonight. What we're going to do is we're going down to the circle, and uh, we got Christmas lights for this, this bad boy right here, and uh, we're going to have music out there. We're going to have all of the flyers that are inviting people about Christmas at Elevate. We're going to be handing those out, and, uh, and, and Johnny is going to be riding this cart. Johnny, he's, he's going to be riding this cart. Can you just picture, can you picture Johnny just riding around the circle with his cart? <laughs> no, just kidding. We're actually going to park it there, and uh, we're going to be serving... Uh, hot chocolate, fresh hot chocolate on tap. Where are you ever seeing that before? And so be with us tonight. What we're going to do is we're going to meet at the plaza, the Circle of Orange. We're going to be meeting there tonight at 530. And so you can either meet here at 5 and join in and, and follow everyone else, or you can just meet us right there at the plaza at 530. Is that correct? 530. And we're going to gather right in the circle, and uh, we're just going to make we're gonna make some racket. We're going to have a good time and invite people to Elevate Ministries, and, and uh, we're going to help them become the smartest people in Orange County that come to church on a Sunday. That's what we're going to do. So I'm, I'm excited about about that, and I look forward to seeing you there. Along with the, the Christmas uh, announcements we have going on, next Sunday is going to be our kids play. E-Kids are going to be doing a production, and so we're going to have some songs by, by some of our toddlers, and we're going to have a, a play uh, by our E-Kids, and so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to happen in the 10 o'clock service, and uh, we'll, have, we'll, have a, we'll have a message and ministry just as we normally do, but we're also adding that to the service, so it should be a lot of fun. And then on the 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to be gathering together, uh, our whole congregation, our 8.30 and our 10 o'clock are coming together for one service, the special service. It's our Christmas service. It's going to be Christmas Eve at 10 o'clock in the morning. You don't want to miss that. Bring someone with you. We're going to have a tremendous time together celebrating the birth of our Savior. Amen. A couple more announcements because I can't believe we're doing this, but we're actually, we're kind of pressing into the next year. Believe it or not, we're starting to announce things that happen in 2024, which is amazing. But we wanted to kind of get this on your radar so you don't miss it is on January the 3rd. It's the first Wednesday in January. Uh, we're going to have a first Wednesday service here. We don't have those every month, but on special occasions, we, we have a first Wednesday where all of us come together midweek. And we're really excited because we're bringing in a, a special guest speaker by the name of Josiah O'Neill. He's, he's a part of an organization called, uh, from, called Defining Truth. And, and we just felt as we head into an election year, an election cycle, if you'll remember, back to 2020, all of the strange things that began to happen in our society and in our culture, we just want to be ready for it this year. We don't want to be taken by surprise, and we know that this world, it really runs on lies. And so what we want to do is we want to define truth, we want to know what truth is, so that as we look forward, and we're forward-facing as the people of God, we march forward in the truth of God. So, so we have Josiah O'Neill, he, he actually has a book that he just wrote, he, he hasn't even released it yet, but, but on January 3rd, it's going to be available here. I, I'm telling you, I talked to this gentleman on the phone this week, he's got something to say, I'm telling you, you're going to want to 
hear it. So mark that in your calendar, uh, January 3rd. And then on January 6th, I know January 6th has a little bit of a reputation, you know, J6 and all that stuff, the insurrection. We decided to have our own insurrection, okay? So on January 6th, we're going to do a men's breakfast, and we're calling it the insurrection, okay? An insurrection is nothing more than a violent uprising, and that's what we need. We need men to rise up in this day and age. And so we just thought, let's call it an insurrection and just have a massive breakfast and feast and just get the Word of God pumped into our veins, all right? So it's going to be an exciting time. We want to make sure that you are, are in the know of that, okay? One last announcement, and I, I, I kind of want to put up there our prayer hotline, okay? Our prayer hotline, and you should get out your phone and save this number to your phone because anytime you have a request, you should immediately go to the prayer hotline because we have people that are praying 24 hours a day, really, seven days a week, we have people that are paying attention and praying for actual requests as they come in. And so you don't have to wait till Sunday. You can actually put it on there at any time, any time, day or night, you can put a prayer request up, and, and people from our church will begin to actively pray. That being said, there's a member of our prayer team from Indiana, a guy by the name of Richard Warner. And you don't know him because he's a part of our online campus, but he's also a part of our prayer team. And so I just wanted to give him a big shout out today. That's all I want to do. I want to shout out Richard Warner. And I know you're watching, and I just want to tell you that we love you. We're so grateful you're a part of our church. So as we're in this thought of prayer, I want to, I want to pray for a couple things this morning. Can we do that as a church? A couple, couple requests came to me this morning. One, Valjean. Valjean is with us. They're only able to come every once in a while. And they're, they're, they live far away, but they said this is their church, and they want to show up when they can. And so she came today, and we've been praying for her for a long time because she, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and we went through that whole process with her. She's clean of, of cancer, totally clean. So we give the Lord praise for that. She came to me this morning because the doctors found some nodules on her lungs. We're believing that it's nothing. We're believing that it's nothing. She's got her, got her a little bit. She's amped up about it, all right? And so we want to pray, want to pray for her that, that that report comes back totally benign. Amen? The other thing we want to pray for is Mariana came up to me this morning. Her father's in the hospital. Uh, they placed him on a ventilator. He's not breathing well. And, and we, we, need, we need God to do a miracle and turn that around. And so can we do that together? Can we do that as the, as the people of God? We believe in the power of prayer. Amen. And you say, as we pray, you say, you know what? I could be part of the prayer team. See April. She'll put you right on the team and, and, and get you praying on a regular basis. Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray. Can we do that? Lord, we thank you today. We know there's so many requests. Lord, we know there's so many requests in this building. God, so many people suffering with different things, going through different problems. God, different health diagnoses. Oh, so many, so many issues. So we join with the people of God and we, we ask and we pray because we say, we know that you hear our prayer, Lord. God, we know that you're a healer. And so we pray to today for Valjean right now. Lord, we pray over her body, over this test. We thank you today, Lord, that she's going to get a good report from the doctor. We thank you today that she's been healed of cancer and there's no cancerous cells in her body at this time. We thank you, Lord, for complete healing and a great report. We lift up Mariana, her father. We thank you for, for him, God. We thank you, God. I ask God that you would, you would see him in this hospital, the suffering of his lungs. We pray for a, a turnaround today, that he breathe normal and natural. God, that you place breath in his lungs, God. Lord, that he breathe deep and sleep well, God. Give him the rest he needs so he can walk out of that hospital hole. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Come on.
Well, you guys ready to get into the Word this morning? All right, that's good, that's good. Today, we're going to get into the, uh, we're going to have a little fun and get into the genealogy and the heritage and the family tree of Jesus. And so today is a family Christmas tree is the title of this message. And if you've spent any time in the Bible, if you've read the Bible at all, you've probably noticed that the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are basically the same story kind of told in a little bit different perspective, but basically it's the same story in the same order. And maybe you wonder, maybe the first time you ever read the Bible, you wondered, like me, why in the world do we have the same story kind of, kind of in the same sequence in the same book? It doesn't, doesn't really make sense to me. Well, the reason is, is because the Bible was written by so many different authors. And so the first four books of the Bible are named after the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so these three men were writing the Bible from a different perspective to a different audience. And so as you read the Bible, you'll, you'll, you'll begin to see, when you read Matthew, you have to understand that Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. And so when he's writing the gospel account of, of what happened in, in Jesus' day, you would have to recognize that, that he was a Jewish tax collector that was converted into a disciple of Jesus. And when he's writing the, the gospel of Matthew, he's writing in order to convince the, his fellow Jews that, he, that Jesus was, in fact, the Jewish Messiah. Are you with me today? And then Mark, when you get to Mark, when you read Mark, you're going to read a bunch of action-packed miracles, power-working uh, ministry of Jesus. And the reason Mark is writing this action-packed gospel is because he's writing it to Romans. And Romans would have understood power and were impressed with action. And so he's trying to, 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 to draw in his Roman audience. When you're reading the book of Luke, you'd recognize Luke, he was actually a Greek doctor. And so he's writing to a pagan audience of, of, of Grecian people who would have believed in all sorts of different gods. They would have worshipped all kinds of gods, and some of the Greek mythology would bring some of that to your remembrance today. And so he's attempting to explain the deity of Christ, that Jesus is in fact the highest God, that he's the highest authority, and that he's the highest figure worthy of praise. Are you following me today? And so, and, so, and so they're telling, these authors are telling the same story, but they're communicating to different audiences who would have needed to, to have a little different evidence in order to understand who Jesus was. Now, for those of you that read the Bible reading plan, Maybe you don't even recognize it, but, but at our church, we have something called the Bible Reading Plan, and it's the one-year Bible that, as a church, we go through together. And we're about to start it over here in January 1st. But, but many of us, every day, we're reading passages from the New Testament, passages from the Old Testament. We're getting a little bit of Proverbs so we can get some more wisdom, and then we're getting a piece of the Psalms. And so every day, we get a different piece. And so if you've read, uh, if you've followed along in the Bible Reading Plan every single day, you know that there are certain times of the year and there are certain texts and even certain books of the Bible that you wish you could skip. And if you were honest, some of you have done that. Like you've just skipped it or fast forwarded through it or you've just kind of skimmed over it. And I'm not here to, to condemn you because I've done it myself, okay? And so all of us have been there and we've done it. One of those books is, is Leviticus, like Leviticus, all right, just kind of follow the chronological order of the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, and then 
Leviticus. Leviticus happens about mid-February, okay? So if you're in the Bible reading plan, about mid-February, we, we get into Leviticus, and all of a sudden, all of you that were doing so good, we just noticed that the check mark seeks to exist. We're not seeing you finishing that Bible reading plan. So what we've decided to do, and this was a great idea that came out of our staff, uh, our staff planning uh, meeting, is that correlating with Leviticus in mid-February, we're gonna have a Wednesday night series called You Lost Me at Leviticus. So all of you will have a reason to keep reading the Bible, daily Bible reading plan. All right, so good. Anyways, so on January 1st, most of us that, that, that say, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna, this year, I'm gonna read the Bible straight through. So on January 1st, you're gonna start off at the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and you're gonna be at chapter number one. Now, Matthew chapter one is one of those chapters that most of us fast forward, okay? Why? Because it's just kind of a long list of names of people that you've never heard of. It's a long list of names of, 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 that you can't pronounce. And so most of the time, I just fast forward through that, skim over it, check mark it, and move on. But we do have to remember that every word in the Bible is, been, is there for a purpose. That everything in God's word is important. And so everything in God's word that we read, it reveals to us something about the character and the nature of God. Even a list of names. Even a list of names can teach us something very important about God and our relationship with God. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, the family tree, the family Christmas tree, Matthew chapter 1. The Bible says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers. And we could go on and on and on. We're going to skip all of that like we do on January 1st. And we're going to go to verse 17 that says, Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah, Jesus. And this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And so if we were to read between Matthew 1 verse 2 and read straight through to verse 17, we're going to read some names that we would recognize. We're going to read names like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're going to read David and, and Solomon, but there's also going to be a bunch of names you've never heard of and, and you have a hard time pronouncing. And if you look at it too long, especially early in the morning, it, it plays tricks on you. But there's names like Perez and Hezron and Ram and Aminadab and Nashon and Salmon and Abijah and Asa and Jehoram and Ahaz and Ammon and Jeconiah and Shealtiel, Abuhub, Eliakim, Zadok, Elihud, Eleazar. And the list goes on and on. You like that? That was pretty good. Not bad, all right? But it was important for Matthew to tell the story and, and to begin the story in this way because it was central in him presenting evidence that Jesus was, in fact, the Jewish Messiah for the Jewish people. And so Matthew's writing to Jewish people. He's writing to fellow countrymen to prove this point. He's saying this genealogy, this, this family tree of Jesus proves that he is in fact the promised Messiah. This genealogy proves that he is the, the culmination of what the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. It's, it, it, it's Jesus. 
He is the one that is the fulfillment of 400 Old Testament prophecies. They were all fulfilled in the person of Jesus. This is the point Matthew is trying to make. And so in Matthew chapter one, we're being presented with the names that are listed in Jesus' family tree. And every name in this, in this genealogy tells a story. We don't necessarily know the story, but every name has a story. And each story brings us to one conclusion that the one that we've been waiting for is here. That the Messiah that we've been waiting for is here. That all of creation has been waiting for this moment. All of humanity has, has been wondering, how is this all gonna work out? How is this all gonna play out? It all culminates with Jesus. And that's why Matthew, in, in, in chapter one, verse 23, gets all the way to the, to, to, to the, to the pinnacle of this story when, when he writes that the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him what? Emmanuel. Somebody say Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Matthew is making the case, this isn't some fairy tale. This isn't some myth or random coincidence. This is not some sort of new religion. This, this is Emmanuel. This is the Messiah that's gonna, sh that's gonna split history. That's gonna shape all of, all of history's events. This is the Messiah, the anointed son of David that we've been waiting for. He's the one that's gonna restore the kingdom. He's the one, now, he's, he's the one that was prophesied that's gonna save us from our sins. This is the point Matthew's trying to make. And he says, he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. Now all of us, we've heard this, all right? We, we know about Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is important, all right? That whole concept is important that God with us. But a lot of times what can happen is we fail to personalize it. And that's why I love what Luke says. In Luke chapter two, verse 11, he says, for unto you. Somebody say, unto you. Turn to your neighbor and say, unto you. Come on, unto me. He says, the angel says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and what I love about, about what these angels said is that they're, they're basically saying to some, some, some unsuspecting shepherds out in the field, they're saying, yes, it's true. This is the Messiah who's gonna save the world. Yes, it's true that the government is gonna rest on his shoulders. Yes, his kingdom will never end. He, yes, he's Emmanuel, God with us, but it goes deeper than that. The angel's saying it's unto you. It's not just random, ambiguous unto us. No, it's unto you. He's the savior of the world. He's the sovereign God. He's all seeing and all knowing. But the angels personalized it. They personalized it to those unsuspecting shepherds and they said, they said, it's unto you. When you weren't thinking about God, God was thinking about you. Do you hear that today? When you weren't searching for him, he went searching for you. Those, those shepherds out in the fields that night, they weren't even looking for a Messiah. But the, but the God of the universe went looking for them. And I want you to put your... Somebody turned me off back there. That's the devil. He's always trying to, trying to mess with it. That's what I love about the story because the shepherds are us. When the angel said unto you, I want you to picture, he's saying unto you. 
�����������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������
Come on, how many feel encouraged when you come into the house of the Lord? We want you to, to be in the house of God. We want you to feel victorious. We want you to feel excited. We want you to feel bold. But we also want you to challenge you to look inside and feel some conviction. All right? We, we, want, we want to we lead you into the highs and the lows of, of our feelings. And, and, and then at the end of our service, we try to end with a, a shout. Why? Because, because God has triumphed and so have we. We're victorious in Jesus. And so any given service that you are at here at Elevate, you're gonna experience the highs and the lows of emotion. And the truth is that's how God made us. He created us this way. But, but I wanna remind you about something when it comes to feelings is that feelings are temporary. Feelings don't last. All right, in our culture, though, we've placed such a high emphasis on feelings. We've placed too much emphasis on feelings that are temporary, and as a result, we have an entire society that identifies by how they feel. So you have a bunch of people that say, well, I feel forgotten, therefore I am forgotten. Or, or I, 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 I don't feel forgiven. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm healed. A bunch of people come to church, I don't feel restored, I, I don't feel called, I don't feel qualified, I don't feel anointed. But if you read scripture, you would recognize that you may be feeling that, but it isn't true. Are you hearing me today? Just because I don't feel it doesn't mean that it isn't true. And just because I do feel it doesn't mean that it is. It's, it's, it's a feeling, and we don't live on feelings. That's why it's important that when you leave the house of God, we want you to leave convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, or demons, or heights, or depths, riches, or poverty can separate me from the love of Christ. Did you hear that this morning? Nothing, none of those feelings can separate me from the truth of who God is. And, and, and here's the truth, I love it when my feelings line up with, with what is actually true, but most of the time, that just isn't the case. Did you hear that today? And so what I can learn from Tamar, what we can learn from Tamar, is that God, despite how you feel, God is in the business of redeeming your name. And that when you become born again, you are placed in his family tree. When we were born again, we were adopted. Are you understanding this? We were adopted into the king's family, and as a result of that adoption, we become heirs of the kingdom. As a result of that adoption, we have royal blood flowing through our veins. So no matter how you feel, no matter how dark your past is, when you're placed in the family of God, your narrative is no longer what your past was, now it's a little different. I may have come from shame, but now I'm headed to glory. Did you hear that today? I may have come from deceit, but man, I'm headed for the truth now. I may have come from rejection, but I'm headed towards acceptance. You see, in, in, in the story, the only thing that people thought about Tamar was the mistake she made. When people looked at Tamar, they couldn't see past what she had done. Tamar was forgotten by man, but she was remembered by God. Aren't you grateful for that? I think, I think for us, sometimes we allow moments from our past to dictate for us what our future looks like. But I wanna tell you something, one of the joys of following Jesus and one of the benefits of salvation is that it, even if today was terrible, even if today I got the worst news, even if today I had the worst day possible, 
Like everything went wrong. My whole life was, was a mess. Even if today was terrible, tomorrow there's new mercy for me. That if I just get up, wake up, put on the whole armor of God, I can have a fresh start and a new life. Nowhere else can you find that kind of grace. Nowhere else can you get that kind of mercy. Amen. We live, we live in a culture that will search your history just to cancel you. But Jesus cancels your history and offers new mercy for your life. Somebody say amen. This is the gospel. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is what Christmas means. Second person in our story is, is Rahab. And Rahab appears in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1 and listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And I think maybe probably a lot of us would be familiar with, with Rahab's story. If you know it, comes from Joshua chapter number 2. You can read it when you get some time. But, but in Joshua chapter 2, you'll recognize that Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. And God's people were on the outside of Jericho getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And their first, their first uh, uh, job was to destroy the city of Jericho. And so Joshua sends two spies to this city to check it out before the battle would begin. And so as these spies were there, the king of Jericho hears that there's spies in the city. And so he begins to send out a search party looking for them. And so Rahab finds these two spies and hides them in her house. And then when the king came looking for him, Rahab said, they went that way. And, he, and then she sent them off. As, she protected the people of God. Are you, are, you, are, you following it? are you following this? She decided in that moment that the consequence of rejecting righteousness was greater than the consequence of hiding righteousness. And so she, so she made a decision, I'm going to hide righteousness in my house. This is exactly what happens when you make a decision to invite righteousness into your life. We're making the same decision Rahab did and anytime we invite righteousness in, into our, our life. And so, so I'm going to talk to you today about righteousness in your home. I want to talk to men for a minute. Is that okay? Is it all right if we talk to men? Your family's salvation is tied to your decision to bring righteousness into your home. And so husbands and fathers in this room this morning, it is imperative that you find the courage to be a righteous leader in your home. Did you hear me today? I, I think so often men have abdicated this responsibility and just kind of, kind of, kind of put it off on, on the women to lead in prayer, put it off on the women to make sure everybody's ready for church, put it off on the women to serve in the church, and then we wonder why our family's in chaos. So men, we've got to figure it out. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to get the courage, find the courage to be the righteous leader that God's called us to be in the home. Are you hearing me today? We have to make the decision as men, I am inviting righteousness into my home. I, I'm going to be at the forefront of that. My family is going to revolve around a system of righteousness. And that in this home, we're going to put the Lord first. Above everything else, we're putting the Lord first. My kids are not going to see me complain about church. My kids, are, my kids are not going to hear me complain because we get to go to church. This isn't something we have to do. We get to go. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a man speaking. That's found his righteous authority. My kids aren't going to be raised in a stingy atmosphere. We're going to be generous people. We're not going to be stingy with the Lord. We're going to be generous. Because one of the most powerful things 
that you can do as the male leader in your home is to make sure that your wife and your kids see you as a worshiper of Jesus. And here's the thing, you don't have to do it like me. You don't have to do it like Pastor Carl or anyone else in this church. God's made you unique. And how you worship is how you worship. And I wanna I want tell you something, you don't have to you worship how God has made you. But still, it's so important that your family sees there's a call on your life. There's an opportunity that you have. There's a mandate on men to regain the righteous authority in their families. Did you hear me today? And so I want you to look what happens in this text. The whole city is about to collapse. Everyone in the city is about to be killed. But this small, and it, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but this insignificant act of faith on the account of Rahab would place this sinful woman in the Savior story. She invited righteousness into her home and salvation came to her family. Are you seeing it? It works the same way in your life. When you invite Jesus into the center of your heart, it doesn't matter how bad you've been. Rahab's house was known as a place of prostitution. But when she invited righteousness in, salvation came to her family. Are you hearing that today? Long after the walls of Jericho had fallen, we're still talking about Rahab. Her story lives on. A sinful woman met a righteous God, and no longer would her story be Rahab the harlot, but now her story is Rahab the redeemed in the family tree of Jesus. This is the message of Christmas. Come on. Isn't that amazing? The third, the third woman in the story is Ruth. And Ruth, you can read, read, read where Matthew describes her in, in Matthew chapter one, verse five in the genealogy of Jesus. And here's the thing, is Ruth's got a similar story. And this is the pattern of, of God, is that God, God doesn't choose the people that got it all together. He usually picks people that got messed. Their life's an absolute mess. Ruth's got a similar story. It, her husband dies, and she's barren. But the thing about Ruth is a little bit different, is that she was a Moabite. She wasn't even Jewish descent. She was a Moabite, and the Moabites, if you know anything about them, if you read throughout the Old Testament, you would recognize they were the sworn enemy of God's people. And so she's living in Moab with her mother-in-law and her husband. Her husband passes away. It's a, it's a great tragedy. Not only that, there's a famine that's happening in Moab. And so her mother-in-law, who is Jewish, says to her, hey man, I can't stay here in Moab any longer. We're gonna die. There's no food to eat. I'm gonna go back to, to my ancestral home in Israel. And so now Ruth has got a decision to make. What do I do? Like my only family is leaving. I'm gonna be left here all alone. But if I go to, to where she's from, I'm not gonna be treated well because I'm a Moabite. I'm a sworn enemy of God's people. And so she's got a choice to make. And, and she makes the statement that all of us are pr probably familiar with. Some of you have a bookmark in your Bible with this statement or a magnet on your wall that says this, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people are gonna be my people and your God will be my God. This statement was spoken by a Moabite, a, an enemy of God, and she's making a, a very hard decision. She's making a decision that I'm going to leave this and I'm going to go with my mother-in-law to Israel. I'm going to journey with her back to her ancestral home. Do you know where that little ancestral home was located? 
It was located in a small little town called Bethlehem in Israel. And it was there that Ruth would be introduced to a man named, named Boaz. And if you read this story in the book of Ruth, you'll, you'll discover that Boaz was a shadow or a type of Christ. That the way he treated Ruth is how Jesus treats us. That all of us were enemies, but we've been accepted. Are you, are you hearing me today? And so she would meet Boaz, who would, who would be a type of Christ, and they would get married. And they would actually produce a child. And, and through that child, Ruth would become the great-grandmother of King David. What a tremendous story. Only a good God could put a Moabite woman in the ancestral tree of a Jewish savior. Only a God is good as, good as do, you, do you know what you were before you came to Christ? You were an enemy of God. And through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, he has invited you in and enemies of God are now friends. Are you with me today? There's no other religion, there's no other, other, other way, that, there's no, no other thing that offers this kind of redemption. I mean, this is out of, out of this, there's no other system that offers this, this sort of forgiveness. This is a gospel that is so powerful that it takes enemies and turns them into friends. This is the message of Christmas. This is what we celebrate, this is the gospel, this is the family that we're a part of. The fourth woman that's mentioned is, is a lady by the name of Bathsheba. And she, she appears in verse six of Matthew chapter one. And I think some of you would know Bathsheba's story. She's probably the most famous woman that's listed in this family tree. But, but she was connected to David's great sin, where David took another man's wife and killed her husband and brought judgment upon the entire nation. And so just imagine for a moment that you're Bathsheba. You've been exploited, you've been stolen, you've been abused, you've been ripped away from your family. It's a terrible story. It's a terrible story. And, and there's no way that anyone would have ever expected that God would be able to redeem this story. But here we are again. Are you seeing the pattern here in these four stories? You've got these women who are barren and widowed and depressed and destroyed and bewildered and God uses all of this he uses all of it to produce the perfect prince of peace because you don't get Jesus without Bathsheba. You don't get Jesus without Ruth. You don't get Jesus without Rahab. You don't get Jesus without Tamar. Just like you, you don't get miracles without sickness. Just like, just like you, you, you don't get revival unless there's repentance. Just like we don't get peace unless we go through a storm. Do you follow what I'm saying today? Just like we don't get resurrection unless there's a death. And so here's the truth, and this is what we can see from this family tree, that Jesus didn't come to eliminate our pain, but he came to give purpose to our pain. And this is why the broken parts of your life, the stuff that you're embarrassed about, the stuff that you don't want anyone to know about. It's all of those broken pieces. It's all of that dysfunction. It's all of that mess that's led you straight to Jesus. Did you hear that today? It's every terrible part of your story that you wish you could forget. It's everything in your life that embarrasses you. It's everything that you think disqualifies you. It's those things that have ushered you into the presence of a loving Jesus. It's all of those things that work together to make you a part of his family tree. This is what Christmas is all about. That no matter how far I've run, no matter how bad I've been, he picks me up 
and places me in his family. Aren't you grateful to be part of the family of God? Aren't you grateful for it this morning? And this is the pattern of chapter one. This is what we see that those who felt forgotten were remembered. You hear that? That those who felt sinful were forgiven. That those who felt overlooked, they were the ones that were redeemed. That those who felt alone, they were the ones that were adopted. I think it tells us something today is that one thing we have in common is failure. Right? I think the one thing that all of us can relate with is failure. We, we've all messed up. We've all done, done wrong. But I think the thing that we also can relate to is that in our weakness, his strength is made manifest. That it's because of my weakness that a God can offer me strength. And here's the thing. All of us have different victories in this room, but we have common flaws. And it's those flaws, it's those failures, it's those weaknesses that have, have led us to a common savior. And through him, we can join with Ruth and Rahab and, and Bathsheba. Are you, are you hearing this? We can join with them. Through, through him, we can join with these four women and say, I am remembered, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I am not alone. Aren't you grateful for that today? Only, only a story as good as this one would place Tamar and Ruth and Rahab and Bathsheba right next to Mary and Joseph. You see, when you're adopted into the family of God, he gets the final say. You may be thinking today, well, what if my life and, and my upbringing and, and, and what if my family, what if, it, what if it's all a mess? Good news. That's good news today. Because Jesus has become your righteousness. He's placed you in his story. He's placed you in his family. That's what Christmas is all about. See, I think sometimes we make the mistake when we read God's word, we try to, we try to identify with all the heroes. But I think what would be more realistic is to identify with the broken. Like, we, we study the Bible, and we want to place ourselves right next to the heroes of the faith, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But sometimes we place ourselves with Jesus walking on the water, not Peter flailing in the, in the waves. Like, sometimes we think of ourselves as the disciples who stuck with Jesus, like Peter cutting off an ear, and I'll do anything, Lord. And we, don't, we don't see ourselves as Judas, the one who betrayed him. We, we like to think of ourselves as Moses, the deliverer, instead of Pharaoh, the enslaver. But when I read Matthew chapter one, I think what impresses me the most is that if God could use people like Tamar and, and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, that means there's hope for you and there's hope for me. Are you hearing me today? That God, God partners with these seemingly insignificant people in such a way that they become part of his story. See, you might be here this morning, you feel alone, or you feel forgotten, or you feel abused, or you feel exploited, you feel scared. But here's the thing, when you place Jesus at the center of your story, he uses all of those inadequacies together, and he actually uses them for my good. 
You see, it's, just, it's not that Jesus, Jesus isn't just with us. It's not Jesus is not just in us, but, but he's also for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Did you hear that today? You see, here's the problem. I think too many people, they take Jesus and just kind of place him off to the side. They just kind of take Jesus and he's in the peripheral. He's not able to stand at the center. You see, when we invite Jesus into our life, we invite him into the center of our life. But so many people, they just, they, they just place Jesus to the side. He's, he's kind of on the outside of your family dynamic. He's kind of outside of the financial situation that you find yourself in. He's kind of outside of the chaos of your everyday life. And, and, and so if that's the case, when, when you're looking forward, the only thing that you can look at is the failures of your life. But when Jesus is at the center, when I look forward, I don't see my mistakes. I don't see all my problems. I don't, I don't see all the mess. I see Jesus, because he's in the middle of my life. Listen, if Jesus only serves the outside, your life won't really change. Nothing really changed. The only thing that you'll have to stare at is everything that's wrong. But when Jesus is at the center, when he stands in the middle, even if my shame and my guilt and my sin tries to rise to the surface and tries to steal the center of the show, I can look to Jesus who's at the center and what I see is redemption and hope and, and forgiveness. But that can only happen when Jesus is at the center. That's where Jesus is the only place he'll be. He'll only be at the center. Well, every time you read about Jesus in the Bible, you're gonna find him in the middle. You're gonna find him at the center. You're gonna find him in the middle of a fiery furnace. You're gonna find him in the middle of a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee. You're gonna find him in the middle of two thieves on a cross. Everywhere you see Jesus in scripture, he's standing at the center and he's proclaiming peace. He's standing at the sickness, in the center of sickness, proclaiming healing. And so when I place Jesus at the center of my story, even my failures are redeemed. Even my weakness becomes strength. This is the Jesus we serve. This is the message of Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. And so when I read Matthew chapter one, I want you to grab a hold of this and see this with me today. When I read Matthew chapter one, I'm reading about the family tree, everything that led to Jesus. But I wanna tell you something, his family didn't end there. You see, Jesus is the, is the center of the family because we have all these generations that preceded Christ. But today, if you're a part of the family of God, you're also a part of his family tree. And that tree continues to live on. And what we have at the center is Jesus. He's the center. He always has been. He always will be. That's what, that's what makes Christmas so amazing, is that Jesus entered our world. He entered our world. It's, it's not about a manger. It's, it's, it's not about angels. It's not about gifts. It's not about a a day on a calendar that we're counting down to so we can unwrap presents and share love with one another. That's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Jesus beginning a family. He's, he wants to place you in a family. And so maybe you're here today and you say, man, I, I wanna be part of this family. This is amazing that, that God, he, he finds any way possible he births people into the family. He marries people into a family. He adopts people into a family. God's, God does, he covers all the bases. 
Why? Because he, he, he loves you that much. He wants to place you in his family tree. Maybe you're here today and you say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna accept this savior, this gift. Yeah, I've got a lot of failures. I think we, I think we, we covered that today. That the thing that we all have in common is our mistakes. The thing that we have in common today is our weaknesses. We all have them. But, but, but God looks beyond our weaknesses. He doesn't even see our weaknesses. That when we, when we invite Jesus into our lives, our weaknesses don't even matter anymore because when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So you, if you're here today, you say, you know what? I wanna join this family. I wanna invite this savior into my life. Today's a perfect opportunity for you to do that. And so maybe all over this room, just for a moment, you'd say, you know what? I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna join the family of God. I would love to pray with you. I would, love, I would love to pray with you this morning. Maybe you're in this room, you say, you know what? I wanna give my life to Jesus. You just lift your hand all over this room. Is there anyone like that today? You say, I wanna give my life to, to Christ. I wanna be a part of the family of God. I wanna join the family tree of Jesus. That's you, all over this room. Would you just lift your hand all over this place? Is there anyone like that? Nice and high so I can see it. Anyone at all? Side to side, front to back. You wanna give your life to Jesus. A great day to do that. It's a great day to do that, to be a part of the family tree of Jesus. Anyone at all, anyone at all, side to side, just a moment, just a moment, anyone at all. You say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Side to side, front to back, anyone at all, amen. Will we stand to our feet today all over this room? Can we do that? God, we love you, Jesus. God, we love you. Aren't you grateful for a savior as good as this one? As good as this one, who includes the broken, the desperate, the dysfunction, he includes that in his family. Aren't you grateful? Because we wouldn't fit without it. None of us are, none of us are worthy. Aren't you, don't you recognize that? That none of us are worthy to be a part of the family of God, but God saw fit to put us in it. Aren't you grateful to be a part of that family tree? Come on, say rain, rain came. Rain came when my house was built on you. And I Lift your hands. Let's worship the Lord. Can we do that? Rain came.
that. Regardless of what we've done, regardless of where we've been, you never fail. You love us unconditionally. You've placed us in your family. And for that, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being here today. What a great day we've had. Seeing, seeing these wonderful baptisms today. How amazing was that? Tonight, don't forget, we're going to be joining down the Plaza of Orange at 530. We're going to break this bad boy out. We're going to have some fun. We'd love to see everyone there. We'll see you tonight, 530 at the Plaza. God bless you guys.